Thank you for listening to the podcast of Bible Baptist Church. Please visit our website at www.southbaybbc.org for more information. Uh, we appreciate you letting us come and look forward to what the Lord's been doing. Uh, this church has been supporting us now and the ministry there for, I don't know exactly the date, uh, over two years, maybe uh, close to three years now. And uh, so those testimonies you saw and, and the, uh, the lives have been changed. Uh, those that are participating in giving to missions and praying for missionaries, this is fruit on your account. And so we're uh, not coming back telling what we're doing. We're coming back telling what the Lord's doing, and that goes on your account. And so uh, this is a very uh, fun time for us to get to go and, and tell people, hey, look, God gave us a lot of promises, and they're true. And look, this is the uh, people's lives, and this is a real story, and this is how it all works out. Sometimes we can kind of get to uh, uh, tunnel vision and think, well, you know, you know, there's so much need and, uh, you know, we're not making a huge impact in the whole world. Yes, we are. Uh, as Christians, we are making a huge impact in the whole world, one life at a time. And let's keep doing it. And it's a privilege uh, to be here this morning. And we're uh, sure looking forward to being here uh, all morning. And we want to look in several times that we're going to say, here am I. So we're going to look first in Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. So if you're taking notes, we're looking at several times to say, here am I. And the first time to say, here am I, is God calls you to reach a person, singular, a person. So we're going to look in Acts chapter 9. We're going to jump into a somewhat familiar story, but we're going to change the focus a little bit uh, of what we would normally have in this story. Just to bring us up to date, because we're going to jump in the middle. We're in Acts chapter 9, and uh, Saul has received uh, permission and authority to go and bind those that are of this way, Christians. Uh, he's ultimately to silence those that are, are speaking of Jesus and Messiah and salvation by, by grace and faith. And, and so we see this very religious man, very successful person in his career, uh, is going now to try to silence Christians. And according to his church history, he was responsible for as many as 3,000 Christians being killed, Saul. And so he's now going to Damascus. Uh, he you know, kind of started in Jerusalem. This is where the Christians were. Persecution started in Jerusalem. The Christians then dispersed to different places. Many of the Christians in Damascus at this time would probably have been in Jerusalem before, and they left because of persecution and fear for their life. Now they're in Damascus, and the same thing's happening again. Uh, Saul's coming, he has authority, he has soldiers, he's coming, looking for Christians, and they didn't have church buildings like we do now, but this would have been a very easy target. You just walk in, everybody's under arrest, and if you don't want to be under arrest, you chop them in half, and that's it. And that's how this was working out. And uh, he had authority to legally do that. That's a problem. And you know, if we think about that in today... That would be like saying the government gave permission for these religious groups, probably ISIS, to come in and to eliminate anybody who's uh, preaching the word. And uh, they can put them in jail, but if they resist, they have the authority to kill them, and there'll be no uh, legal fallback on that. That would be a problem. I can think of some reasons why I would be a little concerned about that. That's a, basically what was happening uh, in this time frame. And so Paul's on the way, or Saul, rather, is on the way to Damascus. He has an encounter with the Lord and uh, has a two-way conversation with him. And, and uh, he kind of gives up and says, okay, what do you want me to do? And he says, go into the city, and it'll be told thee what thou must do. And then uh, we see that he gets up and he's blind. And now we jump into the story in verse 10. And there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias. And he said, 
Behold, I am here, Lord. There are so many things that we could see in this passage, and we're not going to have time to see all of them. But I want you to note a few things. First of all, the Lord called Ananias by name. Sometimes we think we're just a number. Sometimes we think, uh, hey, God really doesn't really know who I am and what's going on in my life. Yes, he does. Uh, God is very aware of who you are. He knows every detail of what's going on in your life, actually a lot more than you do. And uh, sometimes we get in this, okay, this is a lot going on in my life and not much going the way I want it. God, where are you? Do you remember about me? He does. Don't worry about it. God does remember about you. Uh, He called Ananias by name, and Ananias responded, Behold, I am here, Lord. Now, this wasn't just a response, okay, you found me, ta-da. This was a a, a response, I'm listening, what do you you want me to do? Uh, This is like when my dad would call me as a child, and he would say, Adam, and I would respond, yes, sir. Now, that wasn't just, I'm alive, he wasn't checking on that. Normally, the next thing out of his mouth was, I want you to... And the response was, yes, sir, okay? So the, the first response was, yes, I'm listening. The second response was, okay, I'll do it. Uh, and that's very similar to what we're seeing here with Ananias. When he says, behold, I am here, it wasn't just like, ah, oh, you found me. Uh, that's not, not what he's saying. He's saying, I'm listening. What, what's, you know, whatever you want to tell me, I'm ready to hear it. That's what he's saying when he says, behold, I am here. And the Lord said unto him, arise and go into the street, which is called straight, we're in verse 11, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he prayeth. Now we need to just pause for a moment and realize several things. Ananias has got to be on information overload as this is happening. We can read through the Bible sometimes and we kind of get fast and, oh, I like this story and, and kind of breeze through it. I want you to be Ananias for a little bit this morning. If you don't use your imagination when you read the Bible, a story of things long ago. This is a live book of real life people, and, and this is something that really happened. I want you to be Ananias for a little bit, and I want you to put all these facts together and kind of bring the circumstances uh, into your life as he was doing at this point. So Ananias is hearing here, first the Lord speaking to him. That's pretty exciting. Uh, we don't know much about Ananias. We don't know how old he was. We don't know how many kids he had. We don't know if he was married. We don't know if he was a pastor. We don't know how long he'd been a disciple. We just know that he was a disciple. He lived in Damascus. That's what we know about Ananias. And we see the Lord speaking to him. Again, that's exciting. And, uh, of course, he's listening, and he's giving him directions where to find this. And you kind of picture him kind of taking mental notes. You know, okay, okay, uh, go into the street, which is called Straight. That's the name of it. Uh, inquire of the house of Judas. So you just ask around until you find Judas. You can't just look him up on a GPS or call him on the cell phone. And, uh, and then he's looking for somebody at the house. And what's this guy's name? His name is Saul of Tarsus. Notice the comma there. That's verse 11. Uh, and, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. So this guy had heard of Saul, and we'll see that later. But he knew who Saul was. But just to eliminate any doubt, it's kind of like the Lord said that slowly. Go look for Saul. Of Tarsus. It's like an afterthought. Oh, yeah, it is the Saul that you're afraid of. This is the guy who's coming looking for you. Uh, and, you know, so Saul, he knew he was coming, and, and we're not going to read those verses, but we see him a little later in the same passage. Uh, he knew that Saul was coming. He had heard of Saul. He knew the authority that he had. He knew he was coming to silence Christians. And so he hears of this, and now uh, he knows that Saul's here. He just learns that. Uh, and what the Lord told him, okay. Saul's arrived. This is a problem for the Christians, and he's a Christian. And so uh, he says he's to look for him. And then the end of the verse, he says something totally wrong. He says, because he prays. Behold, he prayeth. 
Ananias has got to be thinking, why? Why am I to look for this guy, and why is he praying? He's looking for Christians. They're the ones that pray. This guy came to kill us. Why would he be praying? So, you know, you instantly see some uh, red flags going up here in Ananias' mind. What? I'm going to go to Saul, and he is praying? I don't get it. We keep going right into verse 12. And he continues. He says, and has seen in a vision. Talking about Saul. So Saul has seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hands on him that he might receive his sight. This is a lot of information. So now Saul has, past tense, already seen a vision of Ananias coming in to, uh, to help him receive his sight. So Ananias has got to be thinking, why is Saul praying? Why did he already know before me what I was supposed to go do? And why is I supposed to help him receive his sight? Apparently, he can't see. He came looking for Christians. If he can't see, that's a good thing. He can't find me. If I go help him receive his sight, I'm going to be the first Christian he sees in Damascus. And he came looking for Christians. And it's going to be obvious that I'm a Christian because I'm going to do something supernatural. I'm going to help him receive his sight. Not just anybody does that. I'm going to instantly identify myself with the Lord, and I'll be the first Christian he sees. Does anybody see a problem with that? Has anyone ever heard of this, uh, this, this terrorist group, ISIS or ISIS, however you say the name? Anyone ever heard of them? Okay. I, I don't know who the leader is. I don't, I don't know if that's knowledge or not. I don't pay a lot of attention. But um, let's just say that he came to town, specifically this part of town, looking for Christians. He brought all of his little goonies and all of their uh, cool knives and the cool things that they're going to do with that. And they have authority from the government to come in and do whatever is necessary to eliminate the Christians. And then the Lord tells you, go talk to him personally, one-on-one. Did anybody get excited about that? Sign me up! We'll have a a sign-up sheet in the back table for that after service. Uh, Don't kill each other trying to be the first one to put your name down, okay? This is what's going on. This is the same concept 2,000 years ago. That's not a real exciting thing. You know, what's Ananias thinking? Are you serious, Lord? I mean, if you want to kill me, that's one thing, but can you pick a different way to do it? Uh, I mean, this would be a really bad way to end my ministry. I'm just a disciple. I'm just following you. I'm just trying to do what's right. And I have to go to the leader of the bad guys who's trying to come looking for Christians. And I have to go, like, perform a miracle, like, on him and then... That's a bad situation. I would be inclined to say, you know what? If the bad guy's blind, that's his problem. He probably should have been on God's side. You know, sorry about his luck. You know, if he came here and he's looking for bad, he's looking for good guys and he can't see me, that's wonderful. Just leave it like that. Ananias obeyed. He responded, here am I. And the Lord uh, told him what to do. He kind of checked back with him, verse 13 and 14. And Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard by many of this man how much evil he had done to thy saints at Jerusalem. Kind of puts it back. This isn't about me, God. I'm not scared or anything, but just want to let you know he's against you. And then verse 13, uh, rather um, 14, And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all that call on thy name. So he's just kind of checking back and saying, hey, just want to make sure you're aware of this. I'm not sure if you've been reading the papers or anything lately, but... Uh, this is a bad guy. He's doing bad things against you and your people. Just so you know. I mean, just, just letting you know about that. And God's like, okay, thanks. I appreciate that. I was, I was kind of confused uh, about all that. Appreciate you clearing all that up. Verse 15. But the Lord said unto him, go thy way. 
okay, thanks for the information. Go do what I told you to do. Okay, that, that wasn't new to me is what God's saying. Uh, I got this all figured out. And Ananias has got to be thinking, there has got to be a better plan. There's got to be a different person. There's got to be a different way. There's got to be a different place. This is not for me. But he went and obeyed. Anyone ever heard of the Apostle Paul? Three of you. Do you use the New Testament here? Okay. Just double-checking. Probably more of you have heard of the Apostle Paul. Let me just ask again. Anyone ever heard of the Apostle Paul? Now there's about seven. Okay, there we go. That's getting better. Uh, I just mentioned his name two or three times there, so uh, you probably could say yes at this point. So we've heard of the Apostle Paul, and, and we see amazing ministry and the, the greatest missionary this world's ever known, and, and the Lord used him in a great way. And that started, his ministry started, when God called Ananias to go to one person. Now in this example, uh, the Lord actually dealt with Saul personally about salvation. He got saved on the way to Damascus. But this was this kind of the entrance to the Christian life. And this is the first Christian he's going to encounter when he's got that different spin on life. Like, oh, I want to be like you instead of try to kill you. It's a big difference in life. And, uh, and now Ananias is going to kind of help him get into the ministry. We don't know a lot about Ananias. He's not the hero of the story. He's not the guy with thousands of people who have met him and, and uh, want to know him. He's a Christian who's faithful, who obeys, and does something that's not really fun to do, not really fits in plans, but fits in God's plans. And God used Ananias to go to one person, and that one person reached countless, thousands, millions of people. Today, we still uh, read the New Testament, and so it's still adding up how many people are reached. Ananias is just as much a part of that as Saul or Paul. We see that he was called to reach a person, and we see the result of that. Now we see uh, when God calls us to sacrifice. Let's jump over to Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22. Probably find that towards the beginning of your Old Testament. Genesis chapter 22. So we see that God called on to reach a person. We could look at another example, but we won't for time. Isaiah chapter 6, we see Isaiah standing before the Lord, and the Lord asked, who will go for us? And who shall we send? And he said, here am I, send me. And he says, go and tell this people. And so we see that uh, Ananias was called to reach a person. Isaiah was called to reach a people. And we see that Abraham was called to sacrifice. And we see in verse 1, we're going to kind of jump around in this story a little bit uh, because of time. But if you're not familiar with this story, I would really encourage you to read it in its entirety uh, later today. But we're going to look at verse number 1, Genesis 22, verse 1. And it came to pass after these sayings that God did tempt or test Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, say it with me, Behold, here I am. Nobody said that with me. Let's say it again, okay? Uh, those, those last four words, let's say it together. Ready? Behold, here I am. Now we jump down into verse 9, and we see what the Lord had told him to do, to go and sacrifice his son. Verse 9, And they came to the place which God had told him of, and Abraham built an altar there, and laid the wood in order, and bound Isaac his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. We need to pause for just a moment. Was Abraham a young man at this time? No. Isaac was. Abraham was not. Abraham was a hundred-something. Isaac was a young man, probably strong. 
he was carrying the wood. He, he's not a child. I have small children. I'm stronger than they are. Um, but I'm stronger than my dad is. He, he's now, uh, what, 59 or 60? Uh, we would be a difficult com- uh, uh, situation if he were to try to tie me up. Give him another 50 years. I think I could take him. Okay, there's some young guys here, some big strong guys right down here in front. I don't see a hundred-something-year-old man overpowering a young, strong man. I just don't see it. All right, get down here, son. Tie you up, throw you on the altar. I don't see that happening. We don't have a lot of the details of how this all went down. But the way my mind works, this wasn't by force. How is this old man going to force this young man to get tied up and get on the altar so he can get killed? I don't think that's what's happening. I think we see Abraham obeying God and Isaac obeying Abraham. Uh, Just a note on that. Your kids are watching you. If you expect them to obey you, you better obey God. Well, you know, you obey me because I'm your father. Okay, sure, try that. See how it works out for you. They'll obey you because you obey God, and they've seen it in your life. I think that's what we see here in this story. I think we can see uh, kind of reading into the story. uh, All the details are not there, but we have to imagine what would it be like to be there. I think we can see Abraham saying, Abraham, God told me to do this. Or or Isaac, I'm sorry. God told me to do this. So, okay, son, put your hands behind your back. I'm going to tie them up. Okay? You see this old man trying to get this young man up onto the altar. Hey, son, think you could help me out here a little bit? Think about it. I mean, 100-something years old? Say 120 years old. You know, just jump around and throw these guys around? I don't think so. It's an old guy. With this young guy. And we see Abraham taking Isaac, Isaac, on the altar. Now we see Abraham, verse 10, Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord came unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here am I. Didn't he say that earlier in this passage? Like verse 1? The Lord came to him and said, Abraham. And he said, behold, I am here. And now in the moment of absolute crisis, the Lord comes back and says, Abraham, and he says, here am I. I'm listening. Good thing he was used to answering the Lord when he called him. And at the end of the story here, the Lord says, hey, don't touch the lad. I've got a a ram over here for you. You can take that and sacrifice the ram. You don't have to sacrifice your son. Abraham and his son go back together. The ram was slain. What did Abraham actually pay for on this whole trip? He was asked to sacrifice everything. What did he actually pay for or use on this entire trip? Anybody know? Firewood. The only thing Abraham put out was firewood, which came from God also. In fact, everything we have comes from God. Abraham killed that ram, but it wasn't even his. God said, I want you to give me everything you've got, the only thing that's important to you. It would have been nothing for Abraham to sacrifice a hundred rams, a thousand rams. He's a wealthy man. He could have done it. And it wouldn't have changed his portfolio. God said, I want everything. I want your son. I want the one thing that you don't want anybody to touch. That's what I want. And when he was willing to give it, God said, good. Now that you know and I know that you're willing to obey, you don't have to give that. And now that son turned into a countless multitude. And, you know, if you follow genealogies, Jesus came through that line. And you say, wow, he got a whole lot more 
He was willing to sacrifice what God wanted him to. And God said, okay, thanks for obeying. I've got a whole lot more I want to give you. We often have our hands shut. God, don't touch what I've got. This is mine. You can't have it. God says, why? I gave it to you in the first place. We need to remember that. You don't own anything. I don't care if your name is on the title or not. It's God's. And they say, don't touch this, God. This is mine. Don't touch my job, my career, my schedule, my children, my life, my health. Don't touch it. This is mine. You can have these other things. These are much less important, and you can have that. God never accepts second best. Never. He wants our best. He wants our all. And so God says, why is your hand closed? I can't give you anything. Abraham said, God, you want my son. Here it is. This is what you asked me for. God says, good, look at that open hand. I can put so much in that, I'll give you a multitude that is in the, more in number than the sands of the sea. We get so stuck with what we have that God can't give us what he wants to. Open your hands up. Be willing to sacrifice. God wants to work through you. This is something that God doesn't do unless we're willing to let him. So when God calls you to reach a person, here am I. When God calls you to reach a people like he did with Isaiah, here am I. When God calls you to sacrifice, here am I. So the question this morning, are you willing to say, here am I? God calls you to receive the gift of salvation. Here am I. Look, I want this. Don't, 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 don't pass me up on this. I want this opportunity to serve you. I want this opportunity to get saved. Here am I, Lord. Are you willing to say, here am I?